The passage this morning is Leviticus chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. Anything on which any of them falls, when they are dead, shall be unclean. Whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water. And it shall be unclean until evening, then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break, and whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And anything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it is an oven or cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean. But whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if a part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, the word that you have given us. I pray that you will help us today as we listen to the message that our hearts would be prepared to receive truths from you. I pray that you will help us to understand the meaning of these types and symbols, to understand better uh, your distinctions between clean and unclean. I pray this in your name. Amen. Until this point in the chapter, God has been telling Moses and Aaron how to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. And when we think about that, the, the picture there is that he created animals. He created a- animals so that we could tell the difference between those who were right with God and those who were not right with God. Because he wasn't talking about animals. He's saying that I created these things so that you could understand spiritual realities. And then he talked about how unclean carcasses made the clean unclean depending on if the unclean animal was carried, whether it made you unclean until evening or whether you also had to bathe, that picture of repentance, that picture of being cleansed by the effect of it or from the effect of it, and then you would be unclean until evening. But now God's going to give more focused warnings about how uncleanness spreads. Because it doesn't only spread with direct contact, it doesn't only spread by the clean coming in contact with the unclean. It can also be spread through indirect contact. That unclean thing can fall on a pot, it can fall on a stove, and that that makes that inanimate object unclean. And then you touch that object and it becomes unclean, or then you become unclean. We need to remember that these things are physical parables. They're, they're pictures that God put into place so that we could understand spiritual realities. That we could understand the things that, that, that God gave to the Jews. He gave to Israel 
so that when he came, he would make it known. He would make these, these physical parables understandable to us. As it says in Hebrews 9, 9 and 10, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. God gave us these things so that when Jesus Christ comes, we can see these parables and understand what the parables mean. Because he gave these parables so that we could understand spiritual realities. So as we read this, since Jesus Christ has come, since he has established the new covenant in his blood, we're not supposed to think about this, what does it mean if a dead rat touches your food? We're supposed to think, what does it mean that, that the unclean, those who are not right with God, that they can actually affect things that cause you to have, have consequences to you? Because this isn't about the washings. This isn't about washing your clothes. It's about the spiritual washing, repentance. It's not about unclean animals. It's about, it's about whether you're right with God or not, whether you are holy whether you have been reconciled to the Father. So as we read this and consider this, this is about the way that sinful men, especially those who pretend to follow God when their heart is really far from Him, how they still have a continuing effect to make others unclean by the uncleanness that they introduced. We should recognize that the corruption can continue to come from touching when the what the unclean and unholy men touched, not just from direct contact, but from the impact that they had on the world. So we have a responsibility to interpret and understand what spiritual realities are pointed to by these, by these physical pictures. Because they are to be understandable in the New Covenant, which doesn't mean that I understand them correctly. These are just my best understanding. But it means this is our responsibility to not take this and think, oh, this is talking about creeping things, falling in in water and what it happens to that water. That's not what it's about. It's about the spiritual picture that's contained in that. So Leviticus 11, 32 through 35. Anything on which any of them falls, when they are dead, shall be unclean. Whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water, and it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break, and whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean, whether it is an oven or a cooking stove. It shall be broken down, for they are unclean, and it shall be unclean to you. So he starts with the word anything, this this saying that the unclean affect everything they touch. So God's making it very broad. He's, He's warning us. He's warning us about how easy it is to be defiled by the things of the world. And that we're to stay far away from those who are unclean, those who are defiling. And they can do it in many different ways. They can do it through practices, words, teaching. 
An example that I thought of was John Wesley. You have the mourner's bench. John Wesley introduced this idea of the mourner's bench. And when we think of the mourner's bench, for those of us who know the history, he introduced it as a way to get people to come up from the congregation so that you could count how many people were affected by your preaching. But I didn't realize he actually does it for two reasons. One is if you want to be saved, you come forward. And the other is if you want to pray for God to make you sinless because he believed in sinless perfectionism. And the mourner's bench is about sinless perfectionism and not just salvation. So he thought you could come forward in the church and actually have all your sin removed. That's why he set up the mourner's bench. And we look at this and we go, well, obviously that's ridiculous. Obviously that's wrong. But how many Reformed churches have altar calls today which come directly from the mourner's bench? I think that's the picture of this passage. You have John Wesley doing things that are pure evil, that reject the need for Jesus Christ, that reject the sinfulness of man. And yet Reformed churches adopt it and they do altar calls. Because what he introduced as unclean, people then go, we shouldn't touch that unclean thing. They went, oh, this won't hurt us. We can use it. There's good things here. When the church doesn't recognize how contaminated, how much evil contaminates things, it adopts things that contaminate into the church. And that's the picture here. That's saying you have this dead carcass, this unclean thing, that it continues to have an effect. It continues to defile. It continues to to cause real problems. We're to look for anything, anything that was defiled by the unrighteous, especially the unrighteous that pretend to be righteous. Because they have real continuing effect. So anything on which any of them falls, it's hard to tell if this just applies to the previous eight animals that were in in verses 29 and 30. That was the position of John Calvin. But I, excuse me, of John, John Gill, not John Calvin. Or does it apply to any of the unclean animals in the chapter? I tend, which was the position of John Calvin. I tend to lean towards Calvin's position. But I think it's talking about any of the unclean things. They can make things unclean. When they're dead, they can still defile. And I think it's that because later it says that if a clean thing dies, that it can defile as well. But the unclean things really have a defiling effect. And so we're supposed to look and we're supposed to to understand that it's not just those creeping things, the things that are clearly earthly, the things that are clearly you know, right next to the earth, lizards, mice, those things that are in verses 29 and 30, but all unclean things, even those birds that seem to soar, but they actually tear, they actually divide. Those are also unclean. And they continue to have unclean effects, even after they're dead. So I think the 
that the warnings in the New Testament, such as 2 Corinthians 11.23, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, that that's the picture. That's the effect they have. The unclean that pretends to be clean, it continues to make the clean unclean. It continues to defile. And it's important to recognize the picture here. Yes, when they're actively working to mislead, when they're actively working to preach a false gospel, when they're actually working to disguise themselves as an angel of light like Satan, when they do that, they are working to make the clean unclean. But even after they're dead, even after they can't do anything, even after they have no physical ability to do anything, to continue to creep, to continue to, to have an effect, they can still defile. That's the warning. This is that it falls into them. It's not their intention necessarily even. It just falls into it. But when you embrace those things, when you touch those things, they really have an effect. So the language also indicates, especially later, that it's not not just when the whole animal falls on it or falls into it. It's any part of that animal. The unclean makes the clean unclean. If it's rotten and falling apart, and so just part of it falls into your pot. Your pot's still unclean. Again, this is when they're dead, when they, there's ongoing effects of the unclean after they no longer are actively spreading uncleanness. And remember, that's how Judaism became what it became when Jesus Christ came. Because the traditions of their fathers, they were passed down, so they made the commandment of God of no effect. That was what the study of Judaism entailed. It was studying what the Father said. It was studying what the unclean who went before said so that you knew what you could do now, as Paul said in Galatians 1.14. And I advanced in Judaism beyond, Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You didn't advance in Judaism by knowing the scriptures better. You advance in Judaism by knowing the traditions of the fathers better. You advance in Judaism by embracing the unclean as opposed to embracing the cleansing water of the word of God. So we need to be cautious of what we receive from those who went before us Because many who are well-known in the church today, you find out later, they are unclean. And that has always been the case. There has always been false prophets. There have always been people that successfully, like Satan, disguise themselves as an angel of light. And the church embraced them. And later they're found out to be dark. They're found out to be unclean. And we should expect that of the celebrity pastors today, that a lot of them will be found to be unclean. You know, think of Billy Graham, think of Robbie Zacharias. But I could go on. Many of them are unclean, but they appear to be clean. And when you embrace those traditions, when you keep following them after they're dead, after they're gone, you get the mourner's bench in churches that faithfully preach the gospel. 
Because the unclean do affect the clean even after they're dead. When they're dead, they shall be unclean. The uncleanness transfers to anything it touches, anything that it falls on. Sin is like leaven. It can be carried by intermediate objects, even inanimate objects. So whether it is any item, then God gives different examples. And I don't necessarily think these correspond to specific ways that sins are transferred today. Instead, of it's separating how we are to deal with the unclean. The more value something has, the more worth it is, the more worthwhile it is to seek to figure out how their uncleanness affected it. <coughs> so it's, in, it's separating between those things that have sufficient value and that, that you can actually root out the sin or root out the, the, the corruption that came from those things that can't be cleansed. So it says, whether it is any item of wood, something made out of wood, wood is permanent enough, it's hard enough, that it can be cleansed of the defilement. It doesn't go down into its inward parts. It doesn't affect the nature of the thing so that you can, you can wash it, you can cleanse it. Or clothing. Obviously clothing, you know, making clothes used to require a significant percentage of a family's resources. We think of clothes as being disposable now virtually. But they certainly didn't think of that when they would spend an enormous amount of time from the, the raising of whatever fiber they got to the, to the spinning, to the weaving, to the, to, the, to the sewing. Clothing was a significant resource, which is why they cast lots for Christ's clothes. And so if it's clothing, it is a significant investment. So if a mouse died on your clothes, you didn't just throw out your clothes. And again, by their nature, because people sweat, because they get defiled from people wearing clothes, clothes are made to be washed. And so God says, it's made to be washed. You can clean it. You can get the defilement out of it. Or skin. It says skins here. This would be more like, you know, more like leather and skins that are u- either used for clothing or used for shelter. And as with clothing, skin is washable. If you have a leather leather surface, you can wash it. You can clean it off. It was on an in- a living animal, and it continues to be cleansed, able to be cleansed, just like it could when the living animal was had it on. It continues to be able to be cleansed afterwards. Since an animal needed to give its life for that skin, skin has value so it could be cleansed. Or a sack. The word for sack really means to be loosely woven. And specifically, it's loosely woven so that water can flow through it. Again, it's indicating something that could be easily washed. It's easy to cleanse it. It's not like it absorbs into it, but that you can wash it in water and that that will remove the defilement. Or whatever item it is in which any work is done. So if it's a tool or something that you do work in, if it's useful for work, then it's worthwhile cleansing it. So in making this exception, God is pointing out the the importance of work, things that are used to, to produce you can clean them and continue to use them. You don't have to throw them out and destroy them. 
but it must be put in water. It must be baptized, to use the New Testament word. You actually have to wash it. All things that are touched by a dead, unclean animal require washing in water. And obviously this picture ties to why John the Baptist baptized. Matthew 3, 5 through 9, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. John the Baptist understood it was a picture of being cleansed. It was a picture of of having sin removed. And so he says, if you don't repent, you obviously cannot be washed. And so when they're washing these things, the picture is, this has enough value that that you wash away the effects that being touched by the unclean has. Now, if you open our hymnal, there's hymns in there that are from people who were heretics. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong that they're in there. If they have enough value that you read them and you study them and you go, wait a second, I see the errors that they brought into them, and you change the words, and you look, and some of the hymns, the words are changed because they were thought to have enough value that it was worth cleaning them. That's the picture. That if something has enough value, once you find out the person who produced it, that he was unclean, you don't just take it and say, well, this is still good. You say, if it's worth it, let's study it. Let's figure out where his errors affected it and scrub it and make it clean. But if it's not that significant, if it's not that good, there's lots of hymns that sound a lot like other hymns. Just throw those away. There's no reason to keep them. I think we, this is the picture, the picture that, there's, that you can take something that, that represents resources, that represents work, that you can say, I can tell if this has been defiled by it, and it's fine to clean those. And remember what water is. Water is a picture of the word. Like it says in Ephesians 5, he washes his bride in the water of the word. So when we go to cleanse that thing, which is the same picture of John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is saying that these people are being cleansed by the preaching of the word of God. That's the picture. And so the picture here is if you're going to clean something that's, that comes from somebody that was touched by somebody who was unclean, you do it through the word of God, not through your opinion. You do it through the word of God is how you decide. Do I get rid of this or do I keep it? What part of this has been stained? It's by knowing the word of God and by using the water of the word to cleanse it. Just like Christ uses the water of the word to cleanse his bride. And so it shall be unclean until evening. As with people, the things take on the same picture. The day is a picture from evening to evening. It's a picture from the creation of time to the end of time. And so when Christ returns, all these things, because even when we clean it, it still has an effect on us. It still has some aspect of defilement, but when Christ returns and corruption puts on incorruption, then all the defilement goes away. And that's the picture, the picture of why they had to keep it as unclean until evening. At the end of time, 
then everything becomes clean. And it's important to recognize in the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, Christ doesn't just say that he's going to cleanse animate objects. He doesn't just say that he's going to separate the people out. Matthew 13, 41, the son of man will, man will send out his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. There's things that offend, inanimate objects that offend because the sinfulness of man made them unclean that he's going to burn up in that judgment. He's going to judge the world. He's going to judge all creation with fire. He's going to cast out those who offend or cast out those who practice lawlessness, those who rejected him as their Lord. He's going to cast them in the lake of fire. But things get destroyed too. Things get cleansed too. Cleansed by fire. So all things that defile will be removed as well. All things that are offensive to God. And so then it shall be clean. Every day from evening to evening is a picture of all of time. From the start to the end, from creation to the second coming. At the end of time, all people that are not cast into the lake of fire and all things that are not destroyed when they are judged by fire, they will all be clean. They will all be perfect without sin. And then the picture starts over again with the next day. So he gives these examples of things that are worth it, things that can be cleansed, things that are, are made to be clean. And then he gives an example of something that can't be cleansed. Any earthen vessel, this would be like a pot made out of clay. A brass pot, we found out earlier that, that I think it's in Leviticus 6, that if a brass pot, if, if it became unclean, You just scrub it, you scour it, and then it's considered clean again. But an earthen vessel, they're not made to be scoured the same way. Think of the pot that you're supposed to cook stuff in, and it it absorbs into the pot so that it gets flavor and it has its own flavor. That's the picture of an earthen pot. But they still sell pots, things today, with that, that characteristic that it absorbs the flavor from the food that's cooked in it. So if it's like that, if it's an earthen pot made out of clay, when you put something in a pot that's made out of clay, even when it's baked, it still absorbs some of it. And so if any of that falls, so if the dead animal falls into an earthen vessel, then that earthen vessel becomes unclean. It's seen to absorb the uncleanness. And so you shall break it. That earthen vessel you have to break up so it can no longer be used. And there is another picture here that's worth considering. The other picture is if you have a metal pot. Well, the metal pot took a lot of work. And I don't just mean the labor involved. I mean that it was refined. It was changed. They both are dug out of the earth, whether it's clay or whether it's, it's iron. They're both dug out of the earth. But the one is a lot of labor to refine it, to move its earthiness from it. The clay doesn't have its earthiness removed from it. So it's just to be broken up. It's just to be destroyed. Because it can be much more easily defiled. But it's not just the vessel. It's also whatever is in it. The contents of that earthen vessel, they're also ruined. It shall be unclean if it's in such a vessel. 
So depending what was stored in it, it might be able to make clean, right? If it was an earthen vessel that you were storing tools in, well, you can wash your tools. There are things for work. That's fine. But if it's an earthen vessel that you were, that you were boiling your stew for dinner in, it is now all unclean. <coughs> so anything that falls into it, everything in that vessel now has to be considered as if the fallen thing had fallen directly on it. It's this picture of how uncleanness affects other, un- other things and makes other things unclean, that it spreads. And the duty of Christians is to stop the spread, stop the adoption of unclean things. Don't let them continue. And so God's giving this picture that it's worth the sacrifice when that unclean lizard falls into your pot you don't just like scoop around and go oh i got everything it touched it's fine god's saying no be more serious about defilement than that you throw away the whole pot of food and remember we're in an incredibly rich society none of us ever go hungry that's not true for israel all the time and they still were to throw it all away that's how serious god takes sin That's how serious God takes defilement. I don't think we take defilement nearly as as significantly as God takes it. And he's saying, this is how the church gets corrupt. This is how the people of God, so you can't. Remember Aaron's job in Leviticus 10. Aaron's job is to discern between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean, and to teach it to Israel. And when you go... The lizard falls in this corner of the pot. You throw away everything. That's how we're supposed to be saying, this is how you, this is the seriousness with which we're supposed to take things being holy. That it's not some, some thing that doesn't require sacrifice. It's a thing that's worth your life. It's a thing worth going hungry over. So any edible of food, there appears to be a warning, warning about a third level of transfer here. Where you have the pot, something unclean falls in it, everything in the pot's there. But I think the picture here is that you also say it was liquid in that pot and something falls into that pot. And so some liquid splashes out on some food that's sitting nearby. That food also becomes unclean. As it says, upon which water falls becomes unclean. So if something drops into that that pot because you have liquid in there and it splashes, guess what? Everything that it splashes on becomes unclean too. God's trying to give us a picture of how, how easy it is for sin to spread, how easy it is for it to be adopted, how it can be adopted even though you're rejecting the original thing, even though you're saying the original thing is unclean, it still has an effect on you. You still have to watch for it. So any drink that may be drunk from it, it's not just if it falls on edible food. If there's liquid in the pot and it falls into that, if something in the pot splashes on a a jug of water that's nearby, that water now is unclean. The uncleanness spreads, and we need to watch for the uncleanness to spread because everything becomes unclean even if it's just splashed by water that was splashed out because some unclean thing fell in. (coughs) 
So the picture is unclean things make other things unclean. Not the clean, the clean is not making the unclean clean. The unclean is making the clean unclean. It's important to recognize that. The things of this earth do not cleanse, they defile. That's the natural order of things. And so we need to be cautious, we need to work, we need to to protect ourselves against being defiled. Because the natural order of things is for the unclean to to make the clean unclean. So then everything is broader than just pots. The unclean, the dead unclean defile all kinds of things. Falling into a pot is the example that's used, but it's saying everything that's like that. Everything that the dead carcass falls on of an unclean animal, all of it's made unclean. And so this isn't just speaking about food. It's not just speaking about about things related to food. It's saying anything that it falls on becomes unclean. And remember, when we talk about the unclean, he's talking about animals, but he's, it's a picture of men. We know that from the, the sheet descending from heaven that Peter saw before he went to the Cornelius' house where he goes, Now I understand. It's about dividing those who are righteous with God. It's, it's, it's about the Gentiles. If they're right with God, there's one standard. And he understood that the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy, it's about men. It's not about animals. The animals are just parables about men. So the defilement from the dead and clean affect everything. So on which any a part of any such carcass falls... Again, it doesn't take the whole carcass. It takes any part of the carcass. That causes the whole to be defiled. When we take part of the unclean, it still defiles. Too often God makes it evident that someone is a false professor of Christ, but we still keep part of what they did. And we think, oh, that part can't defile. That thing that they were teaching 20 years before, that can't defile. And God's saying, no, any part of it's defiling. Any part of it. We should be really cautious of that. Of not thinking that, that somebody's teaching can defile when, when we find out later he doesn't know Christ. Of course it can defile. So any part of anything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Even the part spreads uncleanness. And then he gives a couple of other examples, whether it's an oven or a cooking stove. So an oven would be, you would build up basically bricks so that something's enclosed so that you can bake bread in it. And a cooking stove would be something that's built up so that you can put a pot on top of it to boil. So the one is cooking by baking, the other is cooking by boiling. It says, you have an enclosed oven, but a, a dead mouse falls on it. Part of a dead mouse falls on it. The whole thing becomes unclean and you have to break it up. Do you see how serious God is saying that we're supposed to take sin? This is not, oh, I'm saved by Christ, so it doesn't matter. This is saying all these things defile. If you're saved by Christ, you care about being defiled. And you fight not to be defiled. And he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter if it falls on your oven, if it falls on your cooking stove. Break it down. 
That's how seriously we are to take sin and the effects of sin and the ability of sin to, to spread. That's what the rest of Leviticus is going to be about over and over and over again. What do you do if your house, if you have a spreading leprosy in your house and you dig it out and you come back later and it's still there, tear the whole house down. God is saying it's worth any sacrifice to deal with sin. It's worth any sacrifice to deal with sin. And that's what they're being told here. Don't just go, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's just a dead rat in the oven. We'll just clean it up and we'll just scour it. We'll wash it. Instead, God goes, tear the thing down. Don't think it hasn't been defiled. Don't think it won't make the things that go in there unclean. For they are unclean. They are defiled even by the carcass of the unclean animal. So they were to tear down their oven. They were to tear down their their cooking stove. Because that little part defiles the whole. And the whole becomes unclean. And it shall be unclean to you. It's interesting that it says it it will be unclean and they shall be unclean to you. Here's Here's the picture. Too often we don't want to accept what God says. So God's saying, look, this is unclean. This, this dead rat fell on the, the, on the oven. And so your oven's unclean. Tear it down. And we go, ah. didn't really affect it. And God's warning, saying, no, you have to treat it as unclean. Don't think you can play with it. If I consider it unclean, if as God, God says it is unclean, then you should look at it as unclean. Don't use your reason to get out of treating it as God sees it. Because it's very easy for us to go, it was just in that one corner, I'll just dig up a little dirt around there, I'll just scrape the inside and it'll be okay. God says, no, you're to treat the whole thing as unclean. Because I said it was unclean. And too often we play with sin that way. We try to walk the edges. We try to do the least. And God's just going, break down the whole oven. And we go, ah, we'll just, you know, I just won't do this anymore. And the sin remains and the sin continues to spread. And in God's eyes, you haven't really repented. Yeah, you changed some aspect of it, but you haven't really repented because you didn't tear down the whole sin. so important to look at it through God's perspective when God says look this is an unbeliever they're teaching things that defile the church has a tendency to say oh but but this other thing they taught was so helpful remember as an example I read a book some years ago that was a debate between people who supported federal vision people like Doug Wilson and Peter Lightheart and other people it was done by Knox Seminary in Florida and other people, and there was an argument, and every single one of the people that supported federal vision made the same argument. They said, N.T. Wright is clearly a heretic, because he's clearly a heretic. He has the new perspective on Paul. He rejects the idea of salvation by faith alone. He is not a believer. But then every one of the people that supported federal vision went and quoted from him and used him and said, but he has brilliant things to say. Now, this, this is the picture here. When God says he's unclean, he's unclean. He's unclean. Stop treating him like he's clean. 
That is not how you treat things. That is not how you deal with it. The clean do not need the unclean to teach them about cleanness. But we have a tendency to do that all the time. The church has a tendency to do that all the time. How many times I've heard so many people go, Oh, John Wesley is a great hero of the faith. He's not a Christian. So why are people treating him like he's a hero in the faith? And there's good men that I've heard say this. What's wrong with them? When God says somebody's unclean, they're unclean. Treat them like they're unclean. Stop treating them like they're clean when they're clearly unclean. And so don't think it's just people far off. This happens now all the time. The unclean are unclean. The unclean defiled, they do not make you clean. They make you unclean. That's what the unclean do. When God declares something is unclean, believe it, accept it, trust it. The unclean are unclean. And they'll make you unclean. Verses 36 through 38. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there's plenty of water shall be clean. But whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains, un- it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if a part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. So now God's going to give an exception. And it's really important to understand the exception. Because if it's a spring, then it doesn't become unclean. The exception is always related to water. The protection against uncleanness is the word of God. That's the protection. So if it's this picture of running water, which is what a spring is, the running water doesn't get defiled. The world defiles what it touches. The unclean makes the clean unclean. But that's not the word of God. The word of God, when it touches the unclean, it doesn't get defiled by the unclean. As Christ said in John 7, 37 and 38, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be protected from the uncleanness of the world. We receive the river of living waters, which in the end is the Holy Spirit. That's the word of God. He only speaks the words that Christ spoke. It's the same picture out of your heart. The Holy Spirit causes you to have the word in you and abide in you. And so the unclean can be cleansed through the water of the word, through the Holy Spirit. And so where the unclean defile the clean, the Holy Spirit protects from that. The water doesn't get defiled. The word of God doesn't get defiled. And so that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cautious. It doesn't mean that we should be spreading uncleanness as as Jesus Christ said in Matthew 18, 4 through 6. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. 
Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So we don't go, oh, he's saved. We can just throw whatever garbage we want at him. The Holy Spirit will take care of it. No, God says, it's better for you if a millstone was hung around your neck. We're still supposed to root out the uncleanness. We're still supposed to see how the uncleanness has affected other things and put them away lest we offend one of these little ones and causes one of those to sin. So the first example that he gives is a spring, and the second is a cistern. And so if you have a spring nearby, you might not catch rainwater, but for most people, their source of water would be a cistern. That word translated cistern is, there is a word for cistern, and that's not actually that word. This has a broader meaning than that. It actually means to bore. And so it would be someplace where they had a, a hole. But it's more like the idea is someplace where they would collect water. So it's not just a cistern. A pond would fa- fall into this as well. It's a place that's intentionally there, not just to have water so that you can use it like a bucket, but a place where you're collecting water. And so a place where water is collected, that also doesn't become undefiled. It's the same thing. It's this picture that you can have. You can either be cleansed by reading the word of God and going, okay, so I see this thing. What should I do about it? Well, go study the scripture about that subject. Or you can remain clean by just knowing the scriptures, having that pool that you collected. If you've studied the scriptures, you hear the things and you go, that's not right. That's the picture. That the unclean won't defile the clean if they know the scriptures well enough, if they have collected water, if they have that pool so it's this physical picture of this, this mouse falling into a pond. The pond doesn't, you can still drink from the pond. But I think the spiritual picture is the unclean won't make you unclean if you actually have enough water, if you actually have enough understanding of the, the word of God. As, as, as David wrote, you know, I hide the word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. That's the picture. If you've hidden enough word in your heart, then the unclean won't make you unclean. So it's a place to collect water in which there's plenty of water. If it's small enough like a pot, it can be defiled. And if it's a cistern that's mostly empty, it's still defiled. All you've been doing is reading the scripture a little bit. Don't think the world won't make you unclean. You might have the thing there to collect the water, but if you're not collecting the water in it and you don't have water in it, it will be unclean. It has to be plenty of water. And that word plenty, literally it comes from the word to collect. So it's where you have collected a lot of water. That's where you don't be, become unclean. So if it falls where there's plenty of water, it shall be clean. There's a point where the water itself protects from the defilement. That's the picture of what the Word of God does. It protects you from defilement. Because the sin spreads like leaven, but the light of the Word of God stops the spread of sin. That's the picture. But whoever touches any such carcass, so even in a body of water, or whatever touches any such carcass, even in a body of water, anything that directly touches the dead and clean, it can still defile. It still causes that specific thing that it touched to become unclean. So even with plenty of the word of God, 
anyone that focuses on the false teaching, anyone that, that, that looks and considers it, don't think it's not, they're not defiled by it. They're still defiled by it. And if a part of any such carcass, the specific case that God dealt with, or a specific case that God dealt with, with Aaron and Moses' seed. And so to understand this, I think you have to understand that seed is the picture of the gospel. Everything's dead, and that the dead, life comes from the dead. That's what happens, right? You have something that's dead, you pour the water of the word on it, and it comes alive. That's the most basic picture of the gospel. And that's what seed is. It's the most basic picture of the gospel. And so when you think about it that way, if it falls on planting seed, so this is not edible food. This is seed that was set aside. It's the same exact stuff, but you set aside it aside to be planted. And so if a dead mouse falls on that, you know, the plan is for it to be sown. The plan is next year you want food, so you save some at the end of the harvest so that the next year you can plant it. And so if it falls on what was intended to be the seed for the next year crop, it remains clean. It's already dead. Right? If you look at the picture of the gospel, if you consider those seed to be the elect, the unclean doesn't make the elect in a worse place. It doesn't matter what sin you participated in. It doesn't matter what sin you fell on. It's what happens after you receive the gospel. That's how you repent. That's how you get life. Those who are dead in their sins and trespasses, the unclean is not going to stop the elect from being the elect. It remains clean. It's not defiled by the dead, unclean animal falling on it. But if water is put on the seed, if it started to to sprout, that's when the unclean affects it. That's the picture. That's the picture of Jesus where he says it's better for a millstone to be hung around their neck. It's where it started to sprout because water was put upon it, because the water of the word was put upon it. And those who try to defile the, the least, the weakest, the youngest, that's where God says it's worse for a millstone to be put around them. So, so the picture here is that the unclean touches the things that are dead. It doesn't really matter. But when they touch the things that are living, that's when you have to protect against them touching the things that are coming to life. Those who have heard the word and are starting to sprout, that, you need to protect them from being touched by the unclean. <coughs> if a part of any such carcass falls on it, those appear to be sprouting, that they hear the word and respond to it. If they're defiled by false teachings, that's when they go astray. That's when, that's when it becomes unclean to you. That's when you're to treat them as unclean. It's that picture in, in 1 Corinthians 5 of I don't say that stay away from the, for those who are in the world, otherwise you'd have to leave the world. But for those who are in the church, put the uncleanness out so that it doesn't affect, it doesn't act like leaven in the lump, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5. For we are a new lump in Christ Jesus. We've been made alive in Christ Jesus, so that's where you protect against the uncleanness. That's where you put the uncleanness out from among you. That's where you have to wash. Verses 39 and 40. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. 
He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. So now he's going to change the subject. He's been talking about, and again, this is why I think it's not just the creeping things in verses you know, 29 and 30, but it's, it's all, the, all the unclean animals. Because now he's going to say, if, an unclean, or if a clean animal falls on you, if the carcass of a clean animal that they can make you unclean too. So if any animal, the defilement is not just by the unclean, the death of the clean can also be defiling. And so obviously there's, you know, there's people who do carry carcasses, but the priests aren't inherently unclean when they're, when they're killing the animals through, through the sacrifices. So this is usually thought not to apply to the sacrifices. But they were allowed to kill cows and goats and sheep and, and all these animals that they could eat. They were allowed to kill them outside the camp. They didn't have to take them all to Jerusalem. And when they did, when you carried the carcass, you became unclean. I think this is a, this is a picture of following men rather than following God. And we see this again when Christ comes. The Jews wanted to follow the prophets. They wanted to follow the prophets, but they didn't want to hear the prophets. They just wanted to follow the prophets. The prophets had come, and they were warning them of the judgment to come, but they still decorated the tombs of the prophets. So Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, 29-31, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. So they have taken what is clean and they made it unclean, which is, I think, the picture of the caring of the dead animals. That those clean animals, those prophets, they were righteous men. But if you dealt with them in the wrong way, you became unclean. And the, the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were unclean because they wanted to decorate the, pro, the tombs of the prophets, but they didn't actually want the water of the prophets. They wanted the prophets themselves, and that's defiling. If anything, any animal which you eat dies, those who are clean, those who are right with God, if you embrace their dead body, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. And so the first one is if you touch it, if you just come in contact, and again, I think this is a warning about embracing saints that went before, making them greater than they were. Yes, we should consider the men who went before. We should consider what they taught, the things that were useful, the things that were part of the water of the word, that were interpretation of the water of the word. But if instead we start to embrace them and start to hold on to their righteousness... You can get defiled by that because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and put your eyes on men. So this is just touching them. We should recognize We should recognize when you go read somebody like John Calvin, you go read somebody like John Gill, yes, they can be helpful, but make sure that you don't go further than they can be helpful. Helpfulness is if they are expounding the word of God, if they're saying this is what the word says. If it becomes, oh, I want to be like John Gill, you've got a problem. 
nobody's supposed to be, want to be like John Gill. Every Christian is supposed to want to be like Christ. And so if you start to touch and think that this great missionary, you know, that I should be like that great missionary, no, that's, that's not right. That's defilement. God used them in their day for their purposes, for his purposes. And he's to use you in your day for your purposes. Don't be defiled by embracing the saints. Shall be in, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. The heirs of the clean that went before us, we're not supposed to, to touch them. At the resurrection, it will all be made clear. Every single one of them had sins. If you say you are without sin, the truth does not abide in you. Any true saints of old were sinners, and so we shouldn't hold them too closely because they all had errors. They all could still defile. But if you eat of its carcass, if you live off of that clean animal, where instead of following Christ, you, become, you start to follow a man, even if he's a righteous man, then real repentance is needed. It's not just that you will adopt some of his errors. It's that you are now worshiping a false god and I see this in reform circles where people would rather read Flavel than read John. Well, that's a huge problem. And so don't think it can't, that it just happens with the Roman Catholics who, who bow down and say they're, they're, you know, Hail Marys. It happens in other churches where people want the words of men rather than the words of God. So if you eat of its carcass, if you want to become like him, if you start to seek him rather than seeking God, you have to eat Christ's flesh and drink his blood to be saved. If instead you treat even a righteous man that same way, you are defiled and you need to repent. And the picture of repentance is you have to wash your clothes. You have to change your deeds. You have to turn from the effects of following a man rather than following God. I think there's a lot of people in reform circles that spend a lot more time reading the reformers than they do reading the scriptures. I know there are. And we should just realize how terrible that is and how defiling that is. Because you can't find their errors, and I guarantee every single one of them has errors, and you can't find their errors except by washing it with the word of God. And if you don't know the word of God, don't read the reformers. That's a big mistake. Because you won't be able to see their errors. Read something that's pure water first. Not that those reading of those other people can't be useful. It can be useful. But put it in its place. Don't become followers of John Calvin. Followers of John Calvin go to hell. Only followers of Jesus Christ are saved. Which doesn't mean that John Calvin can't be a useful teacher. But followers of John Calvin go to hell. So you have to wash your clothes. And then again, you'll be unclean until evening. The effects won't completely go away until corruption puts on incorruption. But wash your clothes now. Repent of the sin now. And then God will take care of it at the end of time. He also who carries its carcass, so the one consuming the clean animal that died of itself, 
they have to wash his clothes, but the person who carries it, the person who passes it along, the person who goes, and, and, and I've seen people do this where they go, oh, yeah, here, read this book, read this book, read this book, read this book, and they never say read the Bible. That's carrying the dead carcass of the queen. We're supposed to be telling each other, read the word of God. That's what cleanses. And yes, it can be useful to read these other people that have more wisdom and more understanding that God has taught them that we can then grow from. But when we just read the other people rather than reading the scriptures, you're unclean. It requires real repentance. It's so easy to exalt the person. It's so easy to exalt. You know, you look at Voice of the Martyrs, they're exalting a person. You look at Brother Andrew's ministry, they're exalting a person. They do all these things to exalt people. That is not what Christ died for. He came for his own glory. He came for the glory of the Father. And we're not supposed to glorify men. They're all fallen sinners. It's the work of God in their life that we're supposed to glorify, which brings the glory to God. But you can't see the work of God in their life without knowing the scriptures. Otherwise, it always becomes about the man. So you have to wash your clothes. You really need to repent. And then you'll be unclean until evening. Until Christ comes and corruption puts on incorruption. Let me give you a few applications. The first application is we should should watch out for the effect of those who have false professions of religion. Even after they're dead. There's many men whose works are exposed after they're dead. But we should recognize that those men still have a defiling effect. When we think about how many people today follow Billy Graham, well, Billy Graham didn't know the gospel. John Wesley, he didn't know the gospel. But look at how many people follow him. Don't think that that isn't defiling. That is defiling. That That does so much damage to the church. But we accept these ideas and we look at them and we go, oh, yeah, They weren't saved, but look at the things they came up with. We should be very careful. Very careful when we deal with somebody who is a hypocrite. And when we deal with somebody who looked holy, that looked righteous, and then was later found out to not be holy or righteous in any sense of the word. We should look at them and recognize how easily we can be defiled by them. Hypocrisy affected everything they wrote. Hypocrisy affected everything that they, every hymn they wrote. Hypocrisy affected everything. You know, this is true for the living, but we shouldn't think it's just true for the living. In this passage, God is making it clear. It's also after they're dead, they continue to defile. You know, but there's plenty of living that you read their first works and they sound good, and then you... As they go, they get worse and worse and worse. Don't go back and say, well, the first things will be fine. No, they need to be scrubbed because they can defile too. Second application, we should honor those who go before that, go before us. But we should be very careful not to just take what they say and consume it. Oftentimes, we don't know that much about them. We don't know how they lived their life. We don't know if they had the proper testimony or not. They may have been unclean, and we don't even know it. Or they may have been clean, and we can over-embrace them. Instead, when we 
when we go back and we read somebody like John Gill or John Calvin or, or Martin Luther or fill in the blank, when we read these people, what we need to do is go, are their arguments being based on the Word of God so that we can make sure that they're based on the Word of God and don't think that if you just take a man who's very wise and just accept his words that you won't be defiled by them. You will be defiled by them. Because all these people had errors, even the righteous. So we should show honor to those who go before us, but we should honor their reasoning and not the man. We should honor when the person says, well, like when Gil writes and goes, well, here's all the Hebrew words and the different meanings of the Hebrew words, and here's all these other people, and you read Gil, and this is what Gil does all the time. From that you can go, yeah, I think he's right. But you can also go, I think he's wrong. We should listen to their reasoning and not just accept any man. Not accept any man's opinion. There was a reason for the need for reformation of the church in the 16th century. It was because all they did was take the words of men instead of saying, what did God say? And there's huge need for reformation in today's visible church because we take the words of men rather than saying, what does God say? And that includes in reform circles. The way the church stays clean is it looks towards the word of God. And while it honors the fathers, it doesn't become subservient to the fathers. And cleanness is handed down unless you consider it, unless you think and try to understand where their errors are. Otherwise, it just grows like leaven, even from those who are clean. Next application, we should consider the value of the thing before we should consider whether we should just discard it or try to cleanse it. If it's been produced by somebody who's unclean, a lot of times what we should just go is, it's not worth it. Let's just get rid of it. Don't waste the time. most obvious example I can think of is the hymns in the hymnal. Some hymns, even the one we're doing for the Lord's Supper, is a hymn written by somebody who was later proved to be unrighteous, Isaac Watts. It was later proven in his writings that he kept it hidden. He was a pure hypocrite. He kept it hidden until he died when he announced in his, after his death that he didn't believe in the Trinity. But yet, there's still things. It's based on a psalm. It's not, you know, it's not horrible. But it also means it needs to be examined. It needs to be said, did this hypocrite, did he actually defile it, and is it worth keeping? And some are yes. The answer is yes, they're worth keeping. But we should consider the cost. When you deal with unclean, it's really easy for the unclean to affect you. Next application. We should be willing to do the real work, expend real effort to keep things clean to keep them holy. Think about the pictures here. You're hungry and a, a, a mouse that died falls into your, your pot of food. You have to throw it all away even though you're hungry. God didn't say it was easy. You find a dead mouse in your oven. You have to tear down that oven and go build another one. God didn't say it was easy. He didn't say it's without work. He said, this is the work that I want you to be about. As priests, for all Christians are priests, according to Peter, according to John, 
All Christians are priests, and as priests, we're supposed to discern between the holy and the unholy, discern between the clean and the unclean, and teach other people so. If you're not willing to do work to deal with the unclean, you're not teaching people that uncleanness matters. Christians have a duty to do the work. They have a responsibility to get rid of the things that are impacted by unclean, those who are unclean. Another application. We need to have a greater expectation that we will have a greater understanding than the saints that went before us. This is a really important concept. God promises that he is washing his bride, his church, in the water of the word. He's removing spots and wrinkles. He's removing errors from the church. The church has less errors now than it did at the time of Spurgeon, whoever you want to name. It has less errors now because God is increasing the knowledge of the church. He is cleansing the church. He is washing the church. And so one of the things that happens that defiles you, if you just go back and say, I'm going to hold to what John Calvin said, well, guess what? There's been a lot of things that the Holy Spirit has taught his church since John Calvin was alive. And so we should have a greater expectation that God's going to continue to move the church forward. And when we go back and just say, oh, we should honor the fathers, but when we go back and say we're just going to follow the fathers, understand that is walking the wrong direction. We need to have a greater expectation that we'll move on from the people that were before us. And again, that's a danger in the Reformed community is that we go, oh, we want to go back to what it was like in the 17th century. No, we're supposed to move forward. The church is advancing. It's not supposed to be retreating. The church will continue to grow and advance in its understanding. Another application, hagiographies can defile. A hagiography is a biography that instead of telling what the person did, both good and bad, they just tell the good. They focus on what they did right. We should recognize this is very common in the homeschool circles. A lot of the books about Christians in the homeschool circles, they're not telling both sides of the story. They make them out like Roman Catholic saints. We have our own set of saints. And that is not, we should not think that that somehow will encourage us to greater works for God, that that will encourage our children for greater works than God. No, that defiles. That's what the Bible says. Dealing with the unclean bodies, or excuse me, with the bodies of the clean that are dead, that still can be defiling. It doesn't mean that you read a book that's, care, that's actually describing their life, the good and the bad. You know, Dalrymple wrote a, a biography on uh, George Whitfield, And he talks about all the bad and all the good, and you see the work of God. When you have a biography that is just about the good, you start to teach people to idolize that man. Do not think that hagiographies are somehow neutral. The ones that that want to make heroes, they're doing exactly what the Roman Catholic Church did. And we should understand how damaging that was to the people, to the Roman Catholics, and it's equally damaging to Christians. 
the clean dead can still defile. Christian books should not make the person a hero because none of us are heroes. Paul says, I'm strong when I'm weak. And how many books make the person appear so strong? Those are defiling. Those are not helpful for the kingdom of God. Then the last application. As we read all these things, remember what God's saying. Look how easy it is to be defiled. Look how easy it is to be defiled. That's what we're supposed to remember. If we take nothing else from this passage, let's take that away from this passage. Because we can be really slack about sin. We can be really lax. We can really go, ah, you know, I'm fine. I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit in me. But this passage is about, no, take these things very seriously. And God wrote this about dead rats falling into your stew pot. But he meant it for us after the time of Reformation to understand how spiritually we're defiled. Let's take it seriously. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word. We pray that, that I rightly interpreted it, that we correct errors, for no man should be followed, but your word is to be understood and followed. Lord, we do thank you for it. We pray that you guide us to a greater understanding and give us the zeal and the desire to practice it. We thank you that you have given us the water, the word that can cleanse. Let us desire to be cleansed in the inward parts. Let us desire for our thoughts to be cleansed, for our mind to be renewed. Let us recognize how easy it is for us to be defiled and how much we need to seek after you through your word so that we walk in holiness because without holiness, no one will see you. Our great desire is to see you and to hear well done, my my good and faithful servant. May that be us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.